0: To have you along here? My name is Mick, and thanks for tuning in here for episode 28. Now, this time around, we're going back to about 1999 2000, I believe. Well, uh, and that's, was it 2000? Okay, 2000 season it is. As, uh, of course, as you could hear in the background there, oh, why? Oh, it was o and oh, one. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Man, he's already correcting me. He's busting my chops and I haven't even introduced him yet. Bye. Anyway, <laughs> his name is Donnie Holtz. And, uh, of course, uh, Donnie, I always do this thing where I try to remember the, your original jersey number. And I, my original choice, I think I got an idea, but my original choice for you, I thought, like I said, they all run together when you're old. But uh, my original, for some reason, I thought you were in the high teens. I 90. thought you were like set, uh, like 18 or something, was it? Was I close?
1: 19.
0: 19. Okay, I was only off by one. Okay, 19 it is. So Donnie Holtz joining us here, try uh, to Pittsburgh. or uh, Of course, uh, what part of Pittsburgh were you from? Was it Pittsburgh proper or was it uh, uh, one of the outlying areas?
1: South Hills. So uh, Thomas Jefferson... Around like Mount Lebanon, South Park, that area is where I where I'm from. Um, I've been everywhere else in between, but this is where I'm from. Yeah.
0: Okay. Like- gotcha. Okay. So uh, now, Donnie, you know the whole idea of you coming to Toledo and playing. Um, what was it that drew you into wanting to uh, to put on a Cherokee uniform in the first place? Was well, it?
1: That's a good question because, you know, there's plenty of good hockey in Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, I was playing midget AAA for Joe Gall. And uh, my season wound down AAA. And uh, they have a draft, obviously, in the junior leagues. They still have it. I don't really know how the junior hockey ranks work much anymore, but I got drafted. Um, I believe I got drafted by Columbus in the fir- first round, first pick, I might add. So, um, and uh, somehow, Toledo snagged me, and I ended up in Toledo with a a slew of really good players, and we had uh, had a good season. Um, I think we kind of fizzled out at the end. I actually got hurt um, at the end of my one season with Toledo, but I went and uh, I lived with a very nice lady named Sherry and uh, another player that you might remember, Ian Soldano. Oh, uh, yeah. We were from, one of us was from Maine, that was Ian, and I, the other one from Pittsburgh, and we lived together with Sherry and Braden and Taylor, her kids. And I had a great year. My parents cried. Well, my mom cried. My dad was great. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was only 17 when I came to Toledo, um, and I turned 18 thereafter, so I had to go to high school, and I attended Bedford High School. Um, I actually, you know, enjoyed it, had a great uh, had a great season and, and Todd Omi was coaching. Uh, I think he still is and great hockey coach and great great experience honestly for me it was even more so about the the non-hockey side as it was the hockey. It was a great chance to grow up I mean at 18 you're still a baby and I, I very much was still just a young a young buck back then and uh, you know it's it's about hockey but it's about so much more it's about the friends that you develop and growing up and becoming, you know, at least something that resembles a man at that point. So uh, what an unbelievable experience. I still talk about it. I tell my wife about it. Um, I've had great experiences that have been such a tremendous trickle down from Toledo. I mean, I, I I could go on for obviously years about the trickle down from just Toledo. So if you want to hear, you know, I'll, I'll unleash Oh yeah. You.
0: Please do. Please do. But let me, let's first get to the basics here. Uh, Obviously growing up in Pittsburgh, you know, you're going to be raised as a Pens fan. And uh, who was your favorite pen growing up when you were a kid?
1: I don't think that's a real hard one. I think you could probably guess. I was born in 82, so that puts me at 10 years old or nine years old when the Penguins won their first cup. And you don't have to look real far to know. Uh, who my favorite penguin would have been is Mario Lemieux, but uh, to be honest with you, I loved a guy uh, before that that was kind of like in that mix. Two of them, Mark Recchi and Kevin Stevens, were my favorite hockey players growing up. Mark <gasps> Recchi, just because he is just a bulldog and could skate fast and score goals, and and Kevin Stevens because he was the man in front of the net and you know. Uh, in, in, in the impact player that really people just uh, kind of forget about now. But, man, in the uh, in the early series when the Penguins won their first cups, Kevin Stevens was just the man. And, uh, yeah, I had a lot of favorite players. And then, you know, uh, even more so, uh, I, I think back of some of the guys that played against the Penguins that I remember when I was younger. And there was a guy named Dino Cicerelli that played for the Capitals. And he was just – a smaller guy and and had an unbelievable knack for scoring goals. And I just remember modeling my game about kind of after him, you know, getting into the soft spots of the ice and scoring those goals that like, uh, you know, nobody else wanted to score. because He had to get down and dirty. He was a skilled player, but he was also a grinder. So those three guys, Dino, uh, Kevin Stevens, who's just beloved still in Pittsburgh, but kind of forgotten about on a national scale. And Mark Recy. And then obviously Mario Lemieux. I mean, who doesn't love Lemieux? He's uh all around probably the greatest ever. So
0: those are my Well, I tell you, that's that's a pretty good that's a pretty good group. I just remember Dino Cicerelli when he played for the Red Wings because the thing he did better than anybody, you would dump the puck in the corner and he would go and chase it with the And usually the D that was with him was much bigger than him. So what he would do was when he'd get to the puck, instead of trying to go head first in and trying to play the puck, he would stop. And before the D could throw a hit on him into the boards, he would ju- He would throw a hit at the D away from the boards yeah. and hit him and knock him flying. And then that allowed him to get the puck and make a play with it, whether it was to pass it yeah. uh, to the, or dump it back to the point. And he would make so many enemies of so many guys. Uh, because of that, the way he did that, especially in Detroit, he did, He became like a master at that where he would throw it the hit first before the deke or whoever was on him could throw a hit and try to put him in the boards. And, oh, it used to make so many people mad at him, yeah. but well, Hey, when you're that small, you got to fight and take what you can get.
1: Yeah. He so. was, I just remember him being like, you know, uh, a good player on tips and just, and as a Penguin fan, I would sit there and, and, you know, just learning how to swear at 10 years old, and I would throw some choice words at Dino Cicerelli because he scored against the Penguins. But then I remember turning to my dad and saying, like, that's the kind of player, you know, you want to be right there because he, you want to be the player that makes the other team miserable. And uh, I, uh, I I remember – I actually I went to the University of Arizona and played my college career there um, for – three years after I played one year in Fredonia and then I transferred to Arizona. And I remember the coach coming up to my dad at the glass and there were 6, 6,500 people, at least at our senior game uh, against ASU and my, my last game. And the coach came up to my dad from ASU and he said, your, your son is Holtz. I was 23 there. He said, man, I'm glad to get rid of him. And my dad said, what do you mean? I, we hated him. And I, and my dad said, the best compliment you could ever receive right there is that you're hated by the other team. and uh, <laughs> I thought that that was a really nice compliment. Let's go get that steak. you know so that was I was just happy to uh, you know be uh be complimented like that and that that to me is like growing up, I always wanted to be hated by the other team in a good way, not obviously not.
0: Oh yeah, but yeah. let me well let's let's talk about this for a minute here with your dad. Obviously, you get your love. You know, that was handed to you the love of the game. Uh, How old were you when you first put on a pair of skates?
1: Actually, I was a little bit of a late bloomer. You might be surprised. My best friend growing up down the street um, was Johnny Zyler. He played for the Kings for a while. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, an -er, NHLer. Obviously, when we got older, um, he played with the Kings. But uh, he skated and he grew up two houses down for me and it was always playing and I I was a big soccer player man um really young I played a lot of soccer and I played through high school I loved soccer and um well I was I would say I was probably as old as six when I was on skates so I was not like you know come right out of the womb and start playing hockey type person um I roller was rollerblading and and Johnny kind of pushed me into it you know he would say man you, you you know you're just a natural and honestly People talk about, like, when I first went out on skates, I couldn't even stand up. It was not the case with me. I, as soon as I stepped on the ice, I was like, okay, let's start playing hockey. And, uh, you know, I was a natural. And it's funny because my girls, as soon as they put on skates, I mean, like, there was no learning curve. They skate. It's amazing. Wow. And and actually, this is kind of a ridiculous story, but when my grandfather died in 06, my mm-hmm. folks they went through his house, and he had been... Hush, hush about his like, you know, his life before. They didn't talk very much, and uh, they found every single one of his roller skating from when he lived in Iowa. This crazy. He was like a he, he roller. Skating back. So wow. I was not. I was not an early bloomer, but skating is something. So I, I mean, I skate up and down my uh, street with my girls and people think like, who is that? It, it's kind of funny, but, yeah, it's uh, not, not so much an early thing, but, but a very natural thing.
0: Well, okay, so now uh, talk about when you first started playing organized. Uh, uh, did you start out – how old were you when you first uh, started playing organized ice hockey?
1: So eight or nine years old. I mean, I was uh, – I started out in Mon Valley, Mon Valley Thunder here in Pittsburgh. Played a year with um, that team. Then I went amateur pens, and I remember I didn't make the amateur pens. I got cut, and um, I was, like, okay with it because I, I had made a, a Penn Sports Cup soccer team, and my dad got me in the car, and he's like, well, you know, maybe this year we'll we'll just go back to focusing mainly on soccer, and I, w- I was good with it, and then about a week later, they called and said the kid that had made it ahead of me the last four decided not to play was i interested in because i was the first alternate and mm-hmm. so i, said, I think you would be crazy if you didn't take this chance um our, at that time rj umberger was on that team there was a lot of good players jared alice i mean like a slew of guys in pittsburgh that you know went on to play some pro and like um so i accepted the last position i remember i came into the locker room and bruce cameron was the coach of the amateur pens he was a good coach in this area and threw me a practice jersey said, you lose it, you're cut. Um, and uh, from then on, my hockey career flourished. I mean, I became... I, I went from last to first line in like six weeks and play, started playing on a line with RJ Umberger and never left his line until he left to play U.S. Nationals at 17 or 16. That was my linemate, and that's where my hockey career took off. I mean, I, I became skilled you know in scoring goals and and getting assists just off just dishing it over to rj i mean played for the flyers obviously you know he's a uh, very talented player and that's where my hockey career kind of took off my size never took off but man my hands and feet um you know i maxed out at five nine but i i my 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 hands and feet always were, were you know the big part of my game that i could make um make things happen you know
0: Yeah. Now, so, you know, you talk about that and who are, I mean, obviously your, you, you, your talent got you there, but who are some of the coaches that helped you get there too, that helped you find your way?
1: Uh, Jimmy Lilja, number one. Uh, My Hornets coach from my, my early years from about (laughs) 11 to 16. Uh, He coached, really great players and you know i i don't know that i would be on the list of greats obviously but um i was definitely on the list of good and <laughs> he coached like like i said the rjs and the justin bittners and the nate ginnons and uh the guy who played for the blackhawks he's younger than me but uh what's his name it's brandon sod those guys um and i still see jimmy a lot, you know, at weddings and stuff like that. And what an unbelievable—he's a legend, an absolute legend in Pittsburgh. And you know, they call him that. Like he's just—and he's an absolutely great guy. Never, uh, there's not a selfish bone in that guy's body. He was all about the kids, and he was all about the um, progress and, and growing the game for the individuals that that played for him. Unbelievable guy, Jim Lilliput from Pittsburgh. And, you know, and just. He's still coaching, I think, or he might be retired now, but, um, oh, this, you know, Rico played, I or at least coach. I think Rico actually, actually coaches with him, Rico Day.
0: Oh, my gosh. I got to find that guy.
1: Yeah, well, I uh, saw yesterday, Mick. We played in an outing together Um, for Bernie Schimmel. I don't know if you know that, uh, a player from Pittsburgh, good yeah. player. um, He has an outing every year, a golf outing, and uh, Rico was there. So, um, but anyway, Rico coached with Jimmy. I think they're. I think he actually married Jimmy's niece, um, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, just the hockey community is such a tight, tightly wound thing. You won't have to look far to find some of these guys. You know, they're right. You can hit a nine iron to them. So, uh, yeah. But back to your original question, Jimmy Lilja, Joe Gall. Um, he was my our midget major coach. What an unbelievable coach. Um, you know, obviously, Todd Omi was, was a really, more so with, with uh, Todd, it was uh, more of just a development of character type thing. I always looked at him as like, you know, what a great guy to have when you're away from home. He, he grew you up quick and at the same time, you know, taught you a, a thing or two about hockey. But, man, he, what an unbelievable guy, a good family guy. And when you look at the hindsight effect of playing for Todd Omi, I look more so like just a great character always put his family first, but at the same time was able to find a way to be a great hockey coach at the same time. And to me, that's like what you look at when you look at what kind of person you want to become. And with that, you know, that's how I kind of look at at Todd Omi. Um,
0: well, T.O. has not changed. He still has that impact. He took, uh, he took some time off and I, I don't know if it was because all what he put into you and, more, I'd probably blame Rico Day for that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> well, truth, yeah. truth, be told, truth be told, though, he did. He took he took some time off to spend more time with the family. And then after a while, I forget how many years it was, it was like I think his wife just got sick of him being around the house. So she's like, you need to go coach. <laughs> so he came back and uh, started coaching again in, uh, a, a while back, about five years ago, and or maybe about seven years ago came back and uh, started coaching again. And uh, he's been, he's uh, he's coaching with Kenny Miller with the Cherokee again this year. Uh, so they are, uh, so he's back there where he belongs in uh, with the Cherokee and, you know, yeah, you're right. I agree with you 100% about character that guy. Yes. He's a character, but he also uh, teaches character and right. helps develop character in, You nailed it. I mean, he he is. He's one of those guys that if you're going to be away from home, that's the type of guy you want your kids to be around.
1: Absolutely. And I remember, you know, obviously you don't ever have perfect relationships with coach. There's always love-hate. But I just always remember saying, you know, like this this guy has your best interest at heart. And no matter what, I mean, if you're playing well, your coach is going to love you. And when you're not, your coach is probably going to let you know that you're not playing the way you should. And I feel like he was fair that way. You know, I remember – you know playing really well at times and you, you're you end up on the power play and i remember playing you know iffy at times whether it was because you know you're away from home or you're homesick or you're you know just not playing your best hockey and i remember you know he was straight up fair about everything it was like your ice time represented your play and so with that you couldn't argue on that front and the way he treated it, or you saw him treat you know his wife and his kids and like you couldn't argue with him on that front so it's like you know, at at certain points you just have to be like, you know, you're you're playing for a good guy. And that's, that's in hindsight, especially as a, you know, 38 year old man. Now I look at it and I say, yeah, that's a lot of how I would want myself to be viewed by the players much like he was, you
0: know? And so let's now jump to uh, that after you were acquired by Toledo from Columbus uh where does that sound? I didn't know about the Columbus part. I, I, I just knew I might
1: be I might be wrong, but I think that's how it went and I didn't really have a whole lot of insight. My dad was still kind of like, "Hey, I think this team's the one that picked you up in Toledo then kind of shuffled in and, and took me." So, yeah. I think that's true.
0: <laughs> were there any scouts looking at you when you were uh when you were uh Midget Major?
1: Yes, there. I mean, there were quite a few that gave me a look, but the thing is, is that the size thing did hurt me and I didn't want to go somewhere. Um, I got cut actually from Danville and then I got invited to try out for the Cleveland Barons and Mick, I went to that Cleveland and I will forever hold this because they met, they missed out because I went to that Cleveland Barons tryout, and me and Jeff Jepson had about 17 goals apiece and we both (laughs) cut. And at that point, My dad said, you know, this Toledo team is rounding out to look pretty nice. You could either keep pounding the pavement, going, you know, you can go to the Springfield Trout, you can go to this Trout, you could go the Musketeers invited me to try out. And I I said to myself at that point, "Um, I'm going to go ahead and go to Toledo because it looks like they're going to round out a really nice team. And And when we got there, I remember Johnny Zyler's dad called me and he said, on the list of all the teams, Junior A and Junior B, before the season really even got underway, Toledo was like fifteenth overall of all of them, junior A and junior B. Yeah. So- I, because we were so stacked with good smaller kind of Dino Cicerelli type players that like they couldn't even they were like, man, these are guys just a bunch of overlooked guys is what especially at our forwards. You remember Meisner and Bassarab, and yep. myself and Jepsen and Kester and well Sedona was huge but overlooked obviously for whatever reason. I mean, we had we had Mickey Meehan, who I got a good story about him later. I mean, just a bunch of guys that really had a lot of talent. I mean, like I hate to toot our own horns, but we were stacked.
0: I right, you're, you're preaching to the choir, buddy. That's why I've remembered you guys is because of how talented you are. I think out of all those names that you mentioned, all of them with the exception of Ian Soldano I think all of you were under six foot.
1: Oh, yeah. By, and some of us by a good bit. And, you know, it's hard in the hockey world, especially in the early 2000s, to not get overlooked when you've got John LeClaire and Eric Lindros as your marking points, not Sidney Crosby and, you know, uh, Johnny Goudreau. Those are your those are that's not a hard measuring stick to me. But you know, the six foot four guys were really in vogue when we were coming through, and if you were undersized, you got overlooked and that was just the fact and didn't mean you're any less good at the game. you know it's just the way it was just the way it went and quite honestly, it in my life, I feel like it might have even been for the better that you know because I, I took a good route I'm, I'm in a good place personally, but you know, I don't know if I would have been you know, uh, had taken hockey a little further, I might not have ended up where I am now. So it's
0: all for a reason. Well, you know, and and the thing too is, is that you got to play. Uh, you got. It, there's an old saying, and it's it, it it involves minor league hockey, but it's it's applicable to juniors as well. And it sounds bad, but it's not meant bad. And that is this: it's better to be a star among the bums than a bum among the stars. Yeah. And you know, and, and that's it's kind of that situation, you know, because people would look at, at Junior B back then and think, oh, you know, that's Junior B. But yeah. the thing they don't realize, a lot of people didn't realize, especially at the time, they did not realize was that, A, there weren't nowhere near as many teams as there are now. B, there weren't uh, as many leagues as there are now. No, so. Seems-
1: That was a good league,
0: Mick. It was a very good league. And the thing is that there were so many guys that would uh, filter down because of the numbers game. So you had guys that should have been playing at the North American Hockey League level or or the USHL level. But because of a numbers game, you didn't didn't have as many guys playing. uh, You didn't have as many opportunities. So they filtered down. So that meant you got some really, really good players playing junior B.
1: Oh, and yeah, I mean, actually, you know, I was just talking to my little nephew, he's 12 years old, and I was, he was saying, you know, Uncle Donnie, like, why why did you only play Junior B, you know? And I said, let me tell you something, Emery, you know, Junior B, when I was younger, was some pretty good hockey, and, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of explain, but like, I feel like the game of hockey's been saturated with this label of junior a that maybe and i'm not saying it's not junior a but it looks a whole lot like junior b did when we played and you know you can you can it's like comparing an old player to a young to a to a new player you can't really compare eras. but all i know is we had some pretty good fast and really good goal scoring hockey players that played on that toledo junior hockey team in 2001 and i'd like to think i was one of them but Man, I was one of them, not the one. You know, there were guys there. We all, I think were, you know, one, two, three in scoring and then, you know, somebody else the next week would be one, two, three in scoring. And it was like, man, we had some good forwards. We had some good defensemen, but, you know, I I, I think of the forwards because that's what I played. And there were some good ones.
0: You know, and and also, you know, I get this a lot. I've I've had guys from uh, earlier times, your era and before that have asked me, they've said, hey, Mick, uh, is the team, was our guys in our era, the guys in our era, were they able to, you think they could hang with the kids from this era? And I'm like, are you kidding? No contest, no contest. And that's not a dis- disrespecting the kids from this era. It's just that because there weren't as many teams, there weren't as many leagues, the quality of player that filtered down to try and de- that we had to develop uh, at the at our level at the junior B level the kids that we had to develop were kids that should have been in junior A and uh, and the kids now because there's so many of them it's that's all it is and that's due to the popularity of the sport the sport right. has grown so you know hey uh, that's awesome I'm all thumbs up for that and but the thing is is that uh, y- y- because it's grown so much It also has uh, the the quality of player at the and now it's different. There's no Junior B anymore. It's Tier One, Tier Two, and Tier Three Junior A, and so we're at Tier Three Junior A, and uh, the 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 Tier Three Junior A leagues have exploded. So there's a ton of Junior uh, uh, Tier Three Junior As. So it's like yeah, and that's a good thing. You know, it's good for the sport to get more kids playing. But it's hard because the kids that play now, um, I think that they're a lot, they're 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 uh, bigger. A lot of them can be faster, but I think it's the it's the hands and and the feet that I think, and I think the way that they play without the puck uh, now isn't as uh, as good I think as it was back then. Because back then it was much more physical. You had differences like you did. You had you had the center red line back then. Right. Uh, you had you you know so the two line pa- offside pass was in play. Uh. You. I mean. You had. Um, uh. Touch icing. Uh, right. you, I mean all all these different little little things that you don't think make a big difference, but they do.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. And, you know, I'm in no way – I think some of the young talent out there, some of these young guys are, are tremendous hockey players. And like I said, you can't you really can't compare eras. And it's we're not even going back all that far. We're only going back, you know, 15 or 20 years or whatever. But there is a tremendous change in that amount of time. And like you said, you even mentioned a couple of things, you know, the red line and touch-up icing. They all factor in, but, you know, it is great that the game is growing. And however they decide to tier it or whatever, that's it's all good. But you know it doesn't take away from the fact that, you know what what Toledo had in like those earlier years, like like a, for, in my case 0-1, was man we had some good players. You know, and that is definitely something I'll always remember as being, you know, getting there and thinking, I I don't feel in any way like oh man like I'm gonna just be the best player here. There was a lot of times when I thought, man, these guys. There's a lot of good hockey players here. I love it here, and uh, it was it was a great year for me.
0: So tell me, who was? Do you remember your line mates? Who? who what line did you play on?
1: Yeah, I think it was me, Jeffy, and Bassarab first, and then it was me, Meisner, and somebody. And then it was, you know, they they get shuffled as the year goes on. You see that, you know, yep. times change all the time, but. Yeah, I think like it was me and Kester and I. I take that back. It was me and Kelly Kester and Jepsen at first, and then it, I think Basarab jumped in there and played center with me, and Kester, and then I think it was me, Jeppy, somebody else. But yeah, I mean like I, there was an interchangeable uh, six to eight to nine forwards there. Mickey Meehan. actually, we had four deep. Because I remember at one point, Mickey Meehan, who was a who was an excellent hockey player, uh, was playing on the third line. and It's like, wow, man, I mean, we've got three, you know, full lines, four sometimes that could really play, that everybody could skate, everybody could move the puck, everybody could score. Um, Kyle Haberlin, who was a local, bigger kid, I mean, you know, not much in the speed column, but, man, he could score goals, too. And him and Ian Saldana would they'd always have, you know, one goal, one assist, one fight. And it was, <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, I wish I could fight, but I'll just, I'll just try to score instead.
0: Yeah. Did you, did you? I know you used to be a little bit of a disturber there at times. Did you ever, uh, did you ever get into a fight playing?
1: I think I had one or two that year, but nothing to speak of. Um, I actually fought more in midget majors than I. Did
0: in um,
1: I was much more focused on trying to be on the score in a positive way than juniors. Mainly because I, I kind of made a promise, and I would never tell the guys this, but it's we're 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 a good you know bit of ways from when I oh, played. Yeah. I I kind of told my mom I wouldn't fight, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but she said the one I have one thing: if you're going to play junior hockey, I really don't want to in a fight. And I said, you know what? I think that's probably easy enough to avoid, um, and, and for the most part, I did.
0: Well, I mean, and two. I mean, that wasn't as as uh, someone. I had an earlier podcast. I had someone who was uh, playing forward, and they were not a they were not a tough guy, and they tried it once and got smoked, and and uh, or actually uh, he actually didn't get smoked. He just uh, he went to fight, but uh, it did it for some reason. They broke it up before they could get into the fight. Yeah. And so, and that was his only attempt. It was his name was Zach Armstrong. I remember this. He was a shorter guy too. He's only like about five, I think five, six, five, seven. And he, uh, little spark plug type. And, uh, he was, he said, he goes, my coach, coach pulled me aside and said, uh, Hey, he said, I didn't bring you here to fight. He says, I know you're not afraid to, but that's not what I brought you here for. So you work on scoring goals. So, and I think that sounds like that was your role when you, when you came to Toledo.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, my wife was like last night. So we went out, this is probably the first time in a year we went out on a date night last night. Cause we have three kids and uh, tried to like, well, So what was Toledo? You know, what was it like? I was like, you pretty much sum it up in a, about two sentences. I said, I left home. I came in with high expectations. I didn't score in like my, my first five games. I was devastated and then I went on a tear and I scored I couldn't not score there for a while and I was really playing well really playing well really playing well obviously with the ups and downs of the season you have ups and downs but I just remember playing great there most of the season and then I I hit the boards in that one game against the Metro Stars and uh, Mick I had a tremendous injury that ended my time in Toledo I don't know if you remember but it ended it early and I wasn't able to play the national tournament and it actually is an injury. I mean, I can feel it right now. I severed a, 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 an unbelievable amount of nerves on the left side of my body, ran all the way down into my back and into my leg. Um, it was a tremendous injury.
0: Wow. But um, now when you play – now, do you remember your first goal?
1: Um, you know what? I, I can't say that I remember it vividly. I want to say it was against, like, Cincinnati or somebody maybe. Um, I think it was on the road.
0: Okay. Uh well, fair enough. Now, uh you said you, you know, we'll talk about your injury in just a moment, but talk about the chemistry in the locker room with, with the players that you had there. Uh what was it like uh bonding and, and trying to get along with everyone?
1: Not hard. Um those guys were a great group of guys. Man, I love I loved it from the second I got there. Just uh, wow! I mean, I, so the second I got there, I met uh, two guys that I, I love to this day, and I actually we went to Fredonia together for a year, Fredonia State, and that's Paul Guthrie and Jordan Levy. And um, so this is this is a story about hockey, but it's not really about hockey. So we had dryland training when we first got there. You mm-hmm. remember dryland training? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And I remember being ready for that. I was always in good shape. So it was never a problem. I, I you know, I played soccer up until like the week before I got there. So I was in very good shape. But Pittsburgh summers, you know, are hot and there's a lot of mosquitoes around because of the rivers and the water and I have a tremendous skin reaction to bug bites. It's something that <laughs> it's almost embarrassing. But I had my shorts on. Obviously, we we're doing dry land training, and I had a short sleeve shirt on. And Paul Guthrie comes up to me and he says, "My God, what is wrong with you?" And I said, I, "These are mosquito bites." And he call, he called me the syphilis kid for, <laughs> for months. And I said, "I I don't have syphilis. They're mosquito." <laughs> In fact, I don't even know what syphilis is, buddy. (laughs) And uh, I just remember thinking that. And I remember uh, remembering that story last night. And I was like, I got to tell it. But Paul Guthrie was like, yo, he like looked after me. And and Levy actually ended up being my roommate at Fredonia State. Great guys. I mean, just like lifetime friends. And, you know, we – Back and forth here and there now, but like we all have our own lives and everything. But I just remember bonding immediately with those two guys. And Jeff Jetson, and I knew from the Toledo tryout. And we had a connection together because we we're both fast and we could both score. And they naturally put us, you know, together on a line immediately. And, uh, you know, we we created a friendship that way. Uh, Rico Day was from Pittsburgh, so we had a natural connection there. Um it, there's, t- there's tons of guys. I mean, I could go on. Kelly Kester, I always had a tremendous respect for the way he played the game because sneaky, you know, you, you don't look at the guy and there's nothing. there was nothing about him that you would be like, wow, he's so fast or, wow, he's so this or so that. It's just an uncanny ability to score goals. I always thought of, about him. So, like, I had a respect for him and loved when I got to play with him. Uh, Meisner, you know, very small guy. Bassarab, small guy, but both tremendous speed. And tremendous ability to score and those guys and and honestly in the locker room it was just a natural we were all we all became very fast friends um some of us were tremendously younger than the others like i was on the younger side and there was a guy larry bryan
0: you remember him oh yeah
1: larry bryan was a, a really good hockey player and he was actually he might have actually been the center on our first line and i forgot to mention his name i don't know how because um, we became such fast friends that Larry was from Washington, the state yeah. of Washington.
0: Snohomish, Washington.
1: Washington. And he had nowhere to go on Thanksgiving because he didn't want to go all the way back home. So he came home with me on Thanksgiving. And it was a joke for years after because nobody could out eat Larry Bryan. <laughs>
0: that <laughs> was, kid, that kid weighed like what? 150 pounds soaking wet?
1: Yeah. Well, he might've eaten that much that Thanksgiving, Mick. <laughs> It was incredible. You have to remember, we were burning up a lot of calories back then. So, um, yeah, and he was also another one that just immediate connections with these guys just because you're, you're put into a pot that is the same, you know, the same upbringing and the same kind of experiences that these guys have been experiencing. If they were little. You experienced them too. So it's not hard to find common ground. I mean, they, they say these things about hockey players. And they're true. You know, you grow up on the road with your dad or your mom or whatever, going to different rinks, experiencing different things, and you blend that together when you come together in junior hockey as almost men, and it makes for an unbelievable
0: experience. Holy smokes. And and that's very, very true. So uh, now when you you get ready to head towards the end of the season, uh, you have that. Freak injury. Tell me if what you you can remember about that, and wow, what what happened?
1: So I remember I was you were in the box. We're actually right next to me, and I remember coming off. And our assistant coach at the time, I, his name slips my mind. He was a taller guy, good good guy, but he was very. You know, uh, is that Mike Witten? Mike Witten, yeah. Um, was it Witten or was it? Who was the other guy? Who was the shorter guy?
0: The short guy was Kirk Ludwig.
1: Kirk Ludwig. Okay, so it wasn't Ludwig. It was Witten, and I remember, you know, it was a physical game against the Metro Stars, and I, I wanted to make an impact quick. And, you know, I did have another element of my game where I liked to throw hits. I did. And I, I, I still did thereafter. I threw a lot of good hits in college. And, you know, um, I, I still liked to hit, truthfully, um, cleanly. You know, I liked it. I liked <laughs> And, you know, I like to score a goal, but I feel like the game can be turned with a good hit, you know, especially a, an impact game like this was against Metro Stars. And my coach from Fredonia was actually sitting on the front row at this game, recruiting me and Levy and Guthrie and a couple others. And, and that's where I was going to play. A deep free and I came across the ice and I went to hit a guy. And he moved and I hit the boards. And honestly, it's, I wish I had a more glorifying story but I was practically airborne. And I remember my shoulder literally came off. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you remember me coming over to the side, but my arm no. hanging down by my knee. And uh, my parents were actually in Jamaica at the time. And my sister and brother-in-law at the time were there and they took me in the locker room, took me to the emergency room. And honestly, I did not even think about coming back because I couldn't move. I, I, I still had problems standing straight for, for years after because I had messed up so many nerves on the left side of my body. And if you, I mean, you can actually tell by looking at me, this side is a little bit smaller and this back deltoid never grew back. Severed tremendous amount of nerve damage on the left side of my body. But I, in a year's time, so I went to Perdonia, and I pretty much got put on the exercise bike for about a year. And then when I got healthy at Perdonia, started to play me and it actually broke my red shirt. That he played me so many games at the end of the year. I got mad and I called Mickey Meehan, and he was playing at the University of Arizona. He said, Holtz, he's like, there's 7,500 people at our game. It's club, D1 club. It's pretty good hockey. He's like, you're going to have the time of your life. I said, you don't have to say anymore, Mickey. I'm coming. I got a ticket, a plane ticket. Me and my dad, we went to visit, visit the school. They said, oh, I don't know. The coach is difficult. I said, I don't even care who the coach is. I'm coming. And I did, and I scored 120-some points in three years. And I had the best time of my life. But it was all Mickey Meehan giving me a call. And it was because I did that route. I went to Fredonia. I, I took my medicine. And then I ended up at the University of Arizona, played for three years. And I still, I mean, like, I had a tremendous career at Arizona. Really, I mean, that's the best hockey I ever played in my life.
0: Now, tell me what uh, what it was like walking into that locker room after – leaving Fredonia and having a a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth in Fredonia leaving, but going into the Arizona, I mean, obviously Arizona back then, not necessarily what you would call a hockey hotbed, but they they still had some good programs there. And uh, obviously walking into that locker room, did you have to like basically start over again as far as, I'm the rookie here. I am the guy who has to, uh, you know, basically. I'm gonna be the kind of the low man on the totem pole.
1: Not at all. I jumped right in. I honestly, I came in with a borderline arrogant attitude, and I it, re- it was represented in my play. I mean, really, I had been through hell with my injury, and I was done. I was like, I'm just gonna play hockey and do what I need to do, and I, I it showed. I played, you know, next level. When I got there, because I had, I had gone through so much with that injury, you know, that it was like, I I was done playing head games with myself, which happens to a lot of hockey players. You know, you kind of get in your own head and I was, I was completely out of my mind. I was ready to go. So no, there was no introduction. I came there to play and be like the guy.
0: Okay. Well now, uh, how, uh, did you get to play on the same line with Mickey when you were there in Arizona?
1: We did. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. Actually that, you know, Mickey, um, I think I feel that Mickey got like kind of underplayed a little bit at Toledo. What a tremendous hockey player, Mickey Meehan was, I mean, like really better than me. I mean, I will say like he was, he had more raw talent than probably anybody, anybody that I, I had played with to that point. I mean, he really was a good hockey player and I think he got underplayed a little bit, but He was good at Arizona, and we we both, we played well together. There was a couple other good guys there also that, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, you kind of fall into that uh, hidden gem category, but it was fun. And, you know, yes, Arizona would not be considered a hockey hotbed, but I'm not exaggerating on the amount of people. It was ridiculous how many
0: people were there, and I don't
1: think they knew a thing about hockey, but no one cared. I
0: was going to say.
1: They were just having a good time, and, now, I remember my dad sitting up in the stands. He said, "I don't know how you found this place, Don, but I think you made the right decision. Because <laughs> there are some seriously good-looking girls around here, and there's a seriously awesome campus. And yeah, so it's funny how Toledo really led me to go to Arizona, uh, and I owe that to Mickey Mehan for, you know, making the decision first. His brothers went there, and they they loved it, and so Mickey followed them, and." Uh, me and Mickey obviously stayed in, in touch with each other. And when I heard you know, Arizona kind of made me think warm weather and fun, and, uh, I tracked him down and he said, get out here. And I thought, like I said, I got out of my own head and I was like, Hey, I'm, I got an extra blessing here by recovering from this in- injury. And I did it all naturally. No surgery, no nothing. I, I worked out constantly and, uh, wow.
0: that had to be interesting. I mean, to do it all through workout as opposed to, you know, any kind of surgery, that'd I, be painful.
1: I opted out. There was a cornerback that played for the Steelers way back in the day that had the exact same injury. And I actually went to his doctor. His name was Rod Woodson. You remember Rod Woodson? Oh
0: yeah. Hall of Famer, buddy.
1: He had the exact same injury. And I went through months and months of therapy, acupuncture to see if my nerves were ever going to come back. And once I realized they weren't, I went to this doctor, Charles Burke, in Pittsburgh, and uh, he was a, a really, you know, considered a really good physician. Not much for bedside manner, but he was—he shot, <laughs> and uh, he, he kind of got me on the path back to, you know, feeling out what I could do. And he said that you'll never get, regain those muscles or those nerves, but what you'll have to do is rebuild your body around it to compensate for the strength factor that you're going to lose forever on that side. I still have numbness in my hands and things like that, but I was able to get back to being athletic again. And it was a long road, but it took well over a year.
0: Wow. Yeah. So now, so, so then you make the, like I say, you transition over and you play into, uh, at Arizona, uh, where, what kind of role did they want you to fill in at Arizona? Just being a goal scorer Did they want you to be a leader? Did they want you to, uh, you know, alter anything as to who you were as far as the type of player you were?
1: No. Score goals, make plays happen, and that that was pretty much it. I mean, the leadership role was kind of taken by a couple of other senior guys, so I got to come in and be, you know, myself, which I, I would never consider myself like, oh, you know, I'm the voice in the locker room. I'm much more of a lead by example per game type of guy. Um, I You know, not everybody can wear the C. That's what makes it special. And I think the sooner some guys learn that, maybe in their hockey career, the better off they'll be. You know, the C doesn't make you the best player on the team. The C means you're the best voice for the team. And I think that that's gotten lost where you automatically patch a C on the best player's jersey. That's not the case at all, in my opinion. Um, You know, that C goes to the guy who understands and is an ambassador for that team, obviously representing through the referees and things like that. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're the guy who's always on the score sheet. And I think that, you know, I made that connection real quick, that I didn't necessarily want to be captain material. I want to score goals and get assists. and I want to show people, you know, what I could do that way. And that was more my focus. I I do, I think a lot of young guys get caught up in the... uh, the allure of wearing a C where, you know, maybe you should just play the game and, and see where it falls. You know, if you get the C, that's a bonus. But, you know, a lot of the time, the captaincy is reserved for maybe the best voice for the team, the best representative for the
0: team. That makes sense. Very good. Um, so you play your three years at Arizona. You finish there. Uh, were you able to finish your degree there?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I got an education degree uh, from the School of Education. You have to get there. Obviously, you apply to the school. You have to get in the school, and then you have to get into the School of Education. So I was actually one of the few guys on the team that put my academics number one, and I always have, um, and I started, I actually taught for three years after in Arizona. I taught uh, history and introduction to economics in a high school out in Arizona before I moved back and went into business with my dad. Um, but yeah, so I got my degree, uh, it was always number one and my GPA was always the number one thing I worried about. Um, and it's hard with hockey. I mean, you're on the road all the time. You're studying in the bus, you know, it's, it was, it was difficult because it's a major university and you were expected to perform academically. And, uh, a lot of the time, I mean, you're 20, 21 years old, your brain slips a little, but, um, I tried, that was always something that, and I try to instill it in my kids. School is number one because your chances of making it are low. And the sooner you realize that they're low, sometimes the better off you'll be. That doesn't mean give up on a dream of hockey, but school and, and whatever your second pursuit is or your first pursuit or whatever it may be involving your academics should be your number one route. And I always thought like that. I, there was never a time where I put hockey first.
0: Mm. Now, uh, now, how long did you stay in Arizona after you graduated?
1: I stayed for a total of eight years, so four, uh, three and a half, really, for school because I had the student team, so I needed a free semester, and it kind of separated where hockey was done, and I was able to do kind of like a full-time gig, because it is, and then I finished that off, and then I went and taught for three.
0: Okay.
1: I was there for eight total. Wow. Think, yeah, seven or eight total, yeah.
0: So, I mean, did you ever get tempted to maybe, hey, this is where I want to spend my life?
1: Yeah, actually a lot. Um, There was a good period there where I wanted to stay in Arizona. And my mom and dad were coming out to visit me and they were actually houses for, you know, as they were nearing more towards retirement, Um, you know, thought maybe I would buy a house out there. and It went like this. I went to ASU and I started graduate school and I tried to, I applied for in-state tuition because I worked there. I rented a home there. I was living there. I was, a. I was an Arizona resident by all definition except for theirs. So I went to court. <laughs> I do joke about it. I called Donnie Holt versus the state of Arizona and they rejected my residency.
0: Oh my and God.
1: The reason was that you're going to, you're going to leave. I said, well, I am now. And so <laughs> I ended up, leaving Arizona because I couldn't get in-state tuition at uh, Arizona State for my graduate degree. And I wanted to pursue my graduate de- degree, so I applied for uh, – I went to School of Journalism and Mass Communication at Point Park University, downtown Pittsburgh. And I applied to that school. It's a ve- It was a very good program, and I ended up getting my master's degree from there and moving forward.
0: Wow. That's awesome, though. You know I mean? But that's a funny story. gosh. Yeah. The Donnie Holtz versus the State of Arizona. Yeah, I love it.
1: And my, my mom said, you know, you, you have a you have a flair for the dramatics there. <laughs> <She didn't laughs> wrong. I said I know. But I needed my residency and I didn't get it, so brought me back to Pittsburgh, and uh, that's where I am. I met my wife um, in '09, and we got married in '11, and we were married nine years, nine and a half or so, and. uh I have three daughters, Avery, Allison, and Claire, and they're the best. And so, you know, that's, kinda, that's my route, you know, but Toledo really, really gave me a good strong path to, to where I'm at. And all the people that were there, good people that I still, you know, can touch base with, um, obviously life happens, so you don't keep in touch with everybody, but man, what a what a tremendous group of people that I feel, you know, led me on a good, a good path. I mean, wouldn't trade it for the world. It was an amazing experience playing and being in the Toledo Cherokee community.
0: Well, tell me some of the stories that you remember. Like, uh, who were the uh, the the some of you said you had a Mickey Meehan story. Is uh, that the one that got you to uh, Arizona? Yeah. Or did you? That's, that's pretty good.
1: That's my Mickey Meehan story. And you know, I'm sorry, I I don't ha- I don't have a whole lot. I mean, I do have some stories, Mick, that uh, would probably. Uh,
0: <laughs> but uh, I, the statute of limitations kind of prevent I, you, right?
1: I'm gonna go there because let's just say there was an an incident with a couple of girls early on, and I got straightened out by my housing mother um, about you know the rules and ramifications. But uh, <laughs> so one of the crazy things is that, you know walking into a high school your senior year and being new. And, you know, most people would say, wow, that's, that sounds awful. It was a rush. I really, I loved it. It was cool. You know, I mean, like to go somewhere and be the new guy and be, and I will say the one thing about being a Toledo Cherokee player was that it really was a good buffer for entering into that school. And, you know, people knew where you came from or knew what you were doing there. It was, it was awesome. And so when I walked into Bedford High School, I remember me and Ian Soldano. And I had never in my life eaten lunch by myself. But me and Ian sat there for about three weeks by ourselves eating lunch. And I looked at him one day. I said, I- Ian, are we nerds? <laughs> <laughs> How old <to> you are? <laughs>
0: oh, lovely. That would be it. That's a typical Ian answer. Yeah. He said, uh,
1: I'm not a nerd, but, but you are. <laughs> and I said, but... you know, and we both ended up making a lot of friends. I, I remember, you know, the running back at the school actually was like, he took. um I became friends with him real fast because you know we're both athletic and whatnot. And he said, "I'm I'm gonna come to every one of your games." And you know, just uh that it, it was really cool that like he kind of took to that, and it was it shows you how much people respect like, oh, you're there to play hockey or you're there to do this. And like, you know, he ended up being a, a, a you know a good friend long term, and it just. He showed up at every game, and people from the school to the games, and, like, it was was a good connection to have that, especially when you don't know how that's going to go. You leave your home at 17, you're a popular kid in your school, you walk into Toledo, and all of a sudden, you know, you're new, they're making fun. I remember a couple of guys making fun of me because I wore a braided belt. Levy was one of them. He's like, what? And, I mean, he just tormented me constantly about the way I dress. He's like, how do they dress in Pittsburgh? I'm like, I don't know, buddy, but, like, how... Am I that out of style? <laughs> like, <apparently, laughs> he thought he was pretty stylish. So uh, he liked the bust me.
0: Levy, Jordan Levy was from Finley. There, there's no such thing as using the word stylish and being from Finley in the same sentence.
1: I, I thought he was from Ann Arbor. but
0: Oh, you know, you're right. You're right. I got him confused with somebody. There's another kid that played there that looked just like that was like basically the same mold as yeah. Levy. Because Levy was from Ann Arbor. I think I was thinking of Doug Draper. Um,
1: okay. Yeah, no, Jordan Levy. And, and I listened to Jordan because, quite honestly, he, he was a stylish guy. So I, I like to think that my style improved at least one point because of him. But, <laughs>
0: but,
1: no, but uh, they were all – yeah, they were all great guys. And um, I, I think we all kind of looked out for each other because you, you know you're in that situation where some of you – are a little bit older than the others and some of you are new and some of you are are new to living away from home so it's all just a big you're all on a huge learning curve at least for you know the year that you're there two years you're all just trying to trying to learn how to be a a real person on your own because you are on your own and that was the scariest part is that you know you're never on your own really till you leave home and my sister's a few years older than me would always be like, Are you scared? And I'd say, Yeah, but like, you ain't living until you do something like this, you know? And he, he you know, tried the dorms for a semester and hated it. And I was like, You know, you gotta, sometimes you gotta stick it out to know what you're made of. You know, you gotta get made fun of a little bit. You gotta get out there and, and see, you know, what the world's all about because it'll prepare you for what's coming to you because, you know, life is tough. So you have to, you know, doing something like, playing junior hockey is a good thing for you. It's a good thing for your psyche because it'll it'll make you understand that, you know, the world is more than just your bubble that you grow up in.
0: Yeah, no question about that. So, um now you mentioned your your little girls and uh, uh, stuff. Are are the do you think they will end up playing hockey?
1: Um I don't know. My my one girl, my oldest one is 7 and she's a tremendous skater. Uh, And she asks me all the time, like, if she should be playing hockey. Well, she's a really good little soccer player. So I'm kind of steering her in that direction, mainly because uh, the financials work out. (laughs) And I have three of them, and all you need for soccer, shoes and shins. And, you know, we know, we both know there's a little bit more to the hockey side, you know. Just a bit. Yeah. Yeah, So Man, they're they're good little athletes though. My middle one, Allison, she dances, and then Claire is just a baby, born on Fourth of July last, year, and uh, she is yet to be seen, but she's already carrying a ball around. And I, I don't know. And honestly, I'm the kind of dad that I really don't care what they do as long as it's healthy and productive for them to do it, and keeps them out of the real trouble. And that's the thing I said I, I always say about hockey, is that it got you into trouble. But it keeps you out of the real trouble. Yeah. And I can only hope that for them that they do something that grabs their attention, grabs their time, and makes, you know, makes you a productive person. I think that hockey did that for me and my friends. And I think that as long as they're doing something that drives them and keeps them occupied mentally, I'm I'm good with it. So if it's hockey, that's great. If it's not, uh, you know, hopefully it's something music or soccer or whatever. You
0: have you ever thought about maybe uh, getting, whether it be hockey or soccer? Have you ever thought about coaching?
1: Oh yeah, I coached last year. I coached my little girls' team. Uh, we pretty much stomped all over everybody. Um, yeah, we we went we went eight and one. I don't know if it's a good look for me to be honest. Hmm. A little bit too competitive for uh, little kids. So maybe wait till they get a little bit older and I can jump in. There. But uh, yeah, it was. It was fun, and I think the parents on my team really liked me. But, uh, you know, I, I'm very competitive.
0: <laughs> oh. What
1: an experience it was to, to coach, and I think that my daughter uh, enjoyed it. But, you know, there were times when I had to sit her down. She wasn't the strongest player on the team. So sometimes you got to sit your own kid. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, what makes it, that's what makes a coach a good coach yeah. is when they're able to do that
1: it was my middle daughter, Allison. She's, she's more into dance, but she was on the team and, you know, he ended up being more my assistant coach. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome stuff though. I mean, that's what it's about at the end of the day. So, yeah. uh, I tell you what, uh, Holtzy, wait, um, first of all, if you can think of any questions you have for me, feel free to ask. Uh, I just, uh, as I get ready to wind this down, my gosh, um, of the, who, you know, you talk about Mickey and you talked about seeing Rico. Are there any other guys that you have uh, been able to uh, keep in touch with at all, even a little bit, uh, whether it's social media or otherwise?
1: All of them pretty much, at least here and there. Um, so like Levy and Guthrie and Ian and, uh, you know, Jepsen, I guess, you know, here and there. And we, we all are on, you know, you're on Facebook and Instagram or whatever, and so we, we are able to at least exchange, you know, I'll, I'll call it exchanging pleasantries, you know, you say hi or whatever, but um, the major person that I was able to stay in touch with post Toledo into college was Ian Soldano And I'll, I'll tell you a little story is we would, uh, Ian went to a school called Weber State and I went to U of A and we played against each other in the same division. And so Ian and I would be battling it out. You know, we had great games, and we loved seeing each other, whether it was in Utah or Arizona. I mean, we just had we, – we always had a great friendship because we lived together, and, like, we – you know, we knew things about each other, and we had – we just had a great friendship. And um, we'd be, you know, tied 1-1 one, one or 2-2 two, two in the third, and me and Ian was – you know, we'd, we'd be hitting each other on the face-off and whatever. He's like, Holt, we still on for tonight? <laughs> Like yeah, we're going out. Oh, we're going out. Win or lose, buddy, we're going out. And we got together, and our teams actually got together after the game, like in the hotels. We would throw. We had some crazy parties, and just you know. But it was funny because we all hated each other on the ice, and then me and Seldon would be like, "All right, the boys are getting together, and we'd all get together." And you know, I mean, I don't have. You can fill in the blanks, but we used, you know, we used to just have great parties and just. I think that's a fun part about hockey players is like, you really do leave it on the ice and me and Ian being friends that we were prior to and Mickey, obviously, but mainly me and Ian after, the, you know, setting up the post-game parties between two teams that were trying to kill each other <laughs> not an hour before, you know, we're like, I remember being and just waiting to get like hurrying up in the shower, getting my stuff on me. Like we're so ready to go party after my game with Ian and just so pumped to see him. And it's like, you know, I think that's, that's the part of hockey that's so fun is that, you know, you battle it out, you have a great time, but at the end of the day, you're just going to hang out with your buddy. It doesn't matter if he's or where he's at. You're all community then and thereafter, and I think that was a really fun part of my life was when I was playing at U of A and got together and got to see. You, know, you start to see the connection points of your life happening, and it's pretty cool to have those friends that they last forever. I mean, like I, I know, you know, seeing Rico yesterday and i was just like hey what's up you know we you know talking and and like it doesn't matter how many years it's been you keep up with those people just because you you probably had a similar path of some sort so it's a it's a good community that way
0: now uh one last question about the cherokee who were your goaltenders back then if you remember
1: i know chris elliott was one of them um and i think chris i can't butcher his last name glinsky Blins, uh something like to that effect but those were our those were our goalies at that time and uh elliot was a was a good goalie um i and I, I remember the the other guy as well chris but um yeah i i specifically remember elliot because i played against him as a younger you know like a, a midget and and uh phantom and whatnot and then meeting up with him in toledo it's actually funny because uh you know, they all end up having friends that you have from Pittsburgh because they go on and play hockey. And then your friends become this hybrid of, you know, like you're all connected. It's strange. And Chris Elliott and RJ Umberger are friends. Well, RJ Umberger was my mate growing up and RJ obviously played in the NHL and Chris Elliott played with me in Toledo. And it's like, you know, there's always six or seven uh, points of separation between any, but any particular player. Fair. But yeah, those were the goalies. And, uh, uh, also, I, I do remember playing against Kester when I was very little. And I remember – because I remember reading his name on the back of his jersey, Coaster or Kester. And I just – and then you end up playing with him, you know, when you're at Toledo. And same with Levy also. I didn't – those are kind of early memories of hockey and it's crazy. Like, he ended up playing with him right there in Toledo.
0: That's pretty funny. Um, so, now, uh, before we wind her up uh, – Do you have anything you want to say to Cherokee Nation? Because there's going to be, yeah, you're going to have your buddies that, you know, played with you and remember you from playing with you. But there's a lot of people that listen to this that uh, they don't, they don't, uh, you know, go back that far. Uh, And there are some current players that listen to this, that uh, they want to hear about the the heritage and the past of uh, Cherokee hockey. And you are a part of that. And I just want to give you a chance to, if you wanted to say something to the Cherokee Nation.
1: Yeah, I, I would just say, you know, wear that jersey with pride and make sure that you're representing your team well. You know, it's sometimes you get caught up in being individualized. And, and I can say this now because, you know, I'm older now, but um, growing up, I was always, you're always, it, it's natural to be self-centered and it's natural to think about, well, how does this help my career? and What what am I be good to the people that you know house you and board you. I'd like to say hi to Sherry Olvera. She was awesome, best housing mom in the business, and he really was a, a great um, great person for me and Ian to have and her kids, Brayden and Taylor, for having us in their home. So I want to say hi to them and her family, her sisters, Sherry's sisters, and the whole family just greeted us with open arms. Um, her niece, Brittany, and everybody. They were really, really nice. To us. So respect those people and respect the jersey and respect your coaches because, you know, sometimes they, they're tough on you, and but it's it's all for the good because they're just trying to bring you up. So I would just say, you know, respect the organization and always, you know, no matter how much your emotions flare up as a hockey player, just remember that, like, life goes on after hockey. And it's it's, it's what you make of it at the time that, that, we'll, that you'll take with you. And if you let your emotions and, like, all that stuff and, like, being an individual, if you let that go first, that, you know, you'll regret that. So just make sure you're a team guy and keep your relationships intact and, and just love, you know, love your team and the guys that you play with because it can create some unbelievably great connections for on in life.
0: Amen to that. Can't ask for better than that. Well, Donnie, wow. It, it honestly only seemed like I, – I, I say this – I've said this a few times, but especially right now, it only seemed like 10 minutes passed by.
1: I know it was it was good. It was it was good to hear, and it's good to hear you're doing well. I know you had some some uh, some health issues and whatnot, and I'm I it's it's awesome. You know, pray for you, and I'm glad to see you're looking great and uh, you know doing your thing. And it's it's you're a staple of the Toledo Cherokee community, so we love you, and we're glad that uh, I'm glad you reached out to have me on.
0: Well, thank you, and and all the love back to you, brother. Because uh, again. Like I said, I always remember the two guys I always remember from that era the most after the national championship team was the the guys, uh, the guys I remember the most are from the 99 through 2001, because I remember obviously in your, uh, in the 99 era, that was like Jeremy LaBianca who could talk to a post. I love that kid. I love that guy, but he could talk to a post. And then there was you and Rico because the two of you were both Pittsburgh guys. He was from I if I remember and now it's been twenty years, but if I remember correctly, it was uh Monongahala. Cool. You you're
1: exactly right. He's from Monongahela.
0: Yep. Wow, man. I, I honestly I only remember that because I remember that I used to practice saying that when <laughs> before broadcast because I could never pronounce it, it from him because it was him because his defense partner uh, I, I think he played two seasons in Toledo, if if I remember, and I think in one of those years, uh, his defense partner was Justin Davidson.
1: Yeah, I remember Justin. Justin was a good defenseman. Yeah, I. Uh, yep, that was Rico's Rico's pairing. Yep.
0: Yep. And oh my gosh, that's funny because because uh, yeah. I remember uh, they always called him Davy, and Davy was the exact polar opposite of Rico. No words. I was going to say you could. I mean, you could spot them fifteen or twenty words, and you wouldn't have a grand total of twenty-two. No. Okay. Less- but <laughs> that was Rico. Rico was he 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 had an opinion, and he wasn't afraid to let you know it. You yeah. know, he would talk at the drop of the hat, and he would drop the hat himself. <laughs> you know, but uh,
1: Rico's a great guy. Great great pittsburgh guy he's a, i i hear he's a good coach and everything now and comes from a really good family and you know obviously i'm gonna brag out pittsburgh guys but rico's an one to brag off. he's a well he's a good guy
0: we've had a number of guys come from pittsburgh so and he was one of he started you you and he started the floodgates uh, yeah. during that during that decade it's we had a number of guys that came in from pittsburgh
1: yep yeah we, we've got some good Good hockey players, and I think generally good people come out of
0: Pittsburgh. So. Yeah. Can't ask for better than that, brother. Yep. Well, uh, I tell you what, I really appreciate you doing this, man. We had a great time. Absolutely. And uh, I hope you will stay in touch because the other thing I want us to do is when all this COVID but uh, stuff is done, I want us to be able to get some of the guys back together again for a reunion. Uh, we'll do an alumni game, sure. But it, it's, you know, we'll get some of the old guys against the old guys and then the young guys against young guys. But even if you don't play, the idea is to get you in here so that we can all, you know, go watch a Cherokee game, have a few pops and tell some tall tales and have a bunch of laughs.
1: Good. And I will play. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you're still you're still in pretty good shape, buddy. So I know you, you work out a lot. So that's we'll definitely uh, put you in the roster. But right. uh, I, I look forward to doing that sometime. And, again, I appreciate you doing this. And this has been nothing but fun. And uh look forward to talking to you again, bud.
1: Thanks a lot, Mick. Take care. God bless you.
0: You too, brother. Amen. And same to you. Well, that's going to do it from here as uh, we thank you for hanging out with Donnie Holtz and yours truly.